worship team. Please give them. I know that their heart's not to be recognized. Uh, I think anyone who would come up here with the desire of being recognized and, and made much of, then uh, that would be a problem. That would be a problem in, in, in why they're here. But our, our team, I don't see that in our, in our worship team. And uh, their desire is to use the gifts that God has given them to bring glory and honor and praise to his name. And I'm, so I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful because, you know, you see what they do on Sunday morning, but you don't see that they're in here on Tuesday evenings for an hour, hour and a half, two hours sometimes, uh, practicing, rehearsing, and preparing uh, through prayer, through they have devotions, they prepare their hearts before they prepare their, 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 their music. Uh, you don't see that they're in here at 8 o'clock on uh, uh, Sunday mornings, running through everything, working out any bugs, because they want to come and they want to give their very best for the Lord in, in helping us to prepare the, the, the atmosphere, to pre- prepare our hearts for receiving the Word of God. So I'm very, uh, very, very thankful for them. There's a lot of churches that it's a struggle uh, with the music. It's a hard time. But we are very blessed Thankful for Pastor Aaron and his leadership there and thankful for each one that gives of their time and their talents uh, to, to, to do what they're doing. So thank you, well, praise and worship team, uh, for what you're doing there. And listen, if you're sitting here and you've got a gift, if you can sing, if you can play an instrument, if there's something you can do, then uh, I encourage you, talk to Pastor Aaron and uh, you know, step out. Step out. Jay stepped out a couple of years ago, and him coming and playing the bass two or three years ago now. I guess you've been up there a while, Jay. So, um, but just having that that added layer to it is is very beneficial. So, if you've got that gift, please um, use it. Exercise. Exercise what God's given you. All right, we're in First Corinthians. We're going to be there for we'll be there quite a while. Okay, so we're in chapter two. We're going to preach a whole chapter today. I'm going to get through a whole chapter. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And the title of the message this morning is Our Source of Wisdom. Our Source of Wisdom. Now, last week we looked at the, at the foolishness of the message preached. Really, uh, I, I felt like last week was a very strong gospel message. Really, the, the passage is laid out to, to help us to understand the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel that the world looks at and says the gospel's foolishness. That's foolishness that a man died on a cross, that, he, that, that God became a man, that God died on a cross that a man rose from the dead? You really want me to believe that? That's the foolishness of the message preached. And so we looked at that last week, and Paul said in verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He said, I didn't come to speak eloquently and to speak these deep things to you, these words of wisdom and the words of knowledge of the world. He said, I came to preach Christ. And, let, and, and, and the cross of Christ and preach the gospel. Verse 21, he said, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, 
He said, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so we, we've seen the, the kind of the contrast already of the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God and the foolishness of the world and, 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 and how the world views the wisdom of God as foolishness. So we continue today, we're here in chapter 2, really kind of in that vein. Paul continues that as he's contrasting the foolishness and the wisdom of the world and, and the wisdom of God. Verse 1, and we already went through the first five verses, but I'm going to look through these again as we, as we get into this chapter. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to do anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I shared with you where He had, he had, he had preached uh, to the, to, in, in Athens, and he preached, debated with some of the sharpest minds in the world and answered their question, refuted their beliefs, and they didn't want a part of that. They just wanted to hear a new thing. They wanted to hear a new thing. They didn't want to really believe. They didn't want to be exposed to truth, and when he preached truth, he gave them truth in great eloquence. They didn't receive it, and Paul comes now, and he says, I came here, and I didn't want to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, the simplicity of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. I understand those emotions when we stand to preach the word of God, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul says, I didn't preach in my own power. I preached in the power of God. And the power, the word of God, it contains the power of God. And when he preached the word of God, that's what he wanted to preach. That's the simple truth of the word of God. It says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men. Because listen, if your faith is in wisdom from some man, somebody else can bring wisdom along and, and deter you to that and bring you over to that. He says, but in the power of God. That's what he preached. That's what he wanted. He wanted their faith to be in the power of God, not in man's eloquent words. And so we come to verse 6 where we'll pick up today. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now he's speaking to those who, he's saying those who are spiritually mature. We speak wisdom. He's talking about godly wisdom here. We're speaking the wisdom of God among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age. I'm not bringing to you wisdom of today and of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now that mystery here, a lot of times we think of a mystery as like you got to figure it out as it goes along. Here's what the, the word mystery here and used in the context here and in the scriptures generally means this mystery means a previously unrevealed Information. It's, previous, it's, it's always been there, but it's been previously unrevealed. It's a new revelation, and that's what Paul is bringing. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, this information that has been revealed. Listen, before the ages, he's talking about the wisdom of the ages, not the wisdom of today and the ages of today or the wisdom of those of this age, the rulers of this age. He's talking about before the ages, before time began, before creation, because that's God. Time is a part of God's creation. It's, it is encaptured in that. So before the ages, before God moved in creation, folks, this is what we got to understand. Before he ever acted in creation, God knew what was going to happen when he acted in creation. 
He already knew it. He already knew everything that was going to happen. He knew, he knew then who would be sitting here today. He knew who would get saved. He knew who would reject. He looked on that and he, he, he knew when he created man and he created the perfection of this earth, he knew that man would fall into sin. He knew that. And yet because of his great love for us, he chose to still do that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. When we think about that, the fact that he, he, he knew us and he loved us before he ever moved in creation, and yet he still created. And, 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 and that plan was in place long before he ever acted in creation. He didn't create and then get caught off guard in the garden when, when Adam fell. Oh, what do we do now? Didn't see that coming. No, God knew there was a plan. And so what Paul is saying is we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. This mystery is this previously unrevealed, this new revelation that Paul is bringing, new information. If you go back and look at the scriptures, I could get off on this, but Paul revealed so many of the things that Paul reveals in his writings. Paul reveals the majority of the new things that we know when we come to the the New Testament. It's amazing what God did in the life of Paul and through Paul in his writings. So this is the mystery. It's a previously unrevealed, it's new revelation. He says, we speak the wisdom of God. Now, the wisdom of God, this is the wisdom of God in contrast with the wisdom of man. He's still on this theme. And again, it's like I told you last week, he got wound up. He's going. And Paul is wanting to make sure people understand exactly what he's talking about. Because the wisdom of man, folks, we're still fighting this 2,000 years later. We're still caught up in the wisdom of men. I mean, who cares what a Hollywood star has to say? Talk about the foolishness of man. I, just go make your movies and shut up. Preacher, you shouldn't say shut up from the pulpit. Yeah, I should. So we're talking about this contrast of the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. So in the book of Job, especially, we see the wisdom of man in clear contrast with the wisdom of God. And if you've read that book then you'll, you'll understand this, and I think you'll understand. I want to try to explain the contrast here, but if you haven't read the book of Job, now it's a, it's a wordy book. It's a dialogue. It is, it, is, it, is in, it is a conversation that's going on between. It's The whole book is conversation. Go and read it, and then you need to spend some time there. But what happens is all of these things that fall upon Job, he loses all of his family, everyone but his wife. He's probably thinking, never mind. Um, he lost everything but his wife, and he's, he, he's sitting there, and his friends show up, three friends who seem to be good friends. When, when you have three guys who will come sit by the fire with you and not open their mouth for a week, they're just there grieving with you. I, I think those guys truly cared about Job, but they weren't the, they, 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 we're going to see they're like all of us. And so his friends, they sought to convince him that the horrifying and unprecedented sufferings that had fallen on him were punishment for his sins. Now, it just makes me think, wow, what, what enormous sins must there have been in Job's life to result in such an overwhelming punishment? I mean, they're saying he's got sin in his life. What kind of sin did Job had if that was the punishment that came upon him? He lost everything. But that was what they were saying. So you had Eliphaz... He was the, the man of exotic experience and, and, and he talked about dreams and visions and spirits and Bildad was the man with all the clever cliches. He had a pet proverb and a pat answer for everything. Uh, Zophar was the man who came in with his mind made up he had, he, and he thought he had a monopoly on God. These are his three friends. 
Well, Eliphaz suggested that Job was a sinner. Bildad supposed Job was a sinner, and Zophar said that Job was a sinner. So they all said that that they were in agreement that Job's sufferings were God's judgment on him for some sin in his life. Now, Job, you have the three friends, but Job, he passionately denied the, the accusations, though he couldn't explain why the suffering had come upon him. He could not understand that. He couldn't understand where that was from. And in his final speech, Job justified himself at great length and and using the personal pronouns I and me and my no less than 195 times. Pretty pretty self-centered there. Hmm, Sounds like what we do. I can't believe that they gave me a ticket for pulling out of my subdivision. Right? I mean, it's what we do. We, we, we do these things and we defend ourselves. We justify ourselves. And, and Job started out so strong, but he's like we are. When you attack him enough, when, when we get attacked, we get defensive. And, and he got defensive. And he not just got defensive with them, he got defensive with God. And he's defending himself. And he came close to accusing God of injustice. And he challenged God to treat him with the same compassion and concern that, with which he had treated others. Um, and then don't forget Job's wife. You know, what a blessing. What a blessing. She was, she was a real blessing. You know, she told Job, uh, told Job, said, curse God and die. Curse God and die. Now, I've had people, I've had people, I've had ladies that tried to tell me, well, he, she, you know, she just cared about Job. And she didn't like to see him suffering. And I said, no, no, no. This is what she it wasn't about, compassion. She was suggesting curse God and kill yourself. That's what she was saying. Why are you holding on? She was, and she's lost everything too. Don't forget that. She's lost everything too. And there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. And her response wasn't the right response. Well, then you have Elihu who comes along and he's considered the mediator. And uh, oftentimes that's what he's called. And he spoke furiously to Job and to his friends. Just furious in his responses to them. And from everyone involved, what we have are words, words, and more words. And all of them were wrong. All of them were wrong. Not one of the people involved in the great debate or the great conversation here had sufficient information to make a proper judgment. Not a one of them had the first two chapters or the last chapter. They didn't know about the battle going on in heaven between God and Satan, how God had challenged Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? How he's, he is, he's upright. He's straight. He is he, he loves God and he shuns evil. Have you considered him? And God didn't say it once. I think he said it three times in those first two chapters. He basically said, Job is a good man. He's a righteous man. There's not sin in it. We, we don't have to wonder, well, what sin did Job... Job didn't have sin. This was not a judgment of sin. But they didn't have that information. Job didn't have that information. He didn't even know why this was happening to him. No one had the first two chapters. No one had the last chapter. They don't know why, why this has happened. They didn't know why the disasters had come, and they didn't know when they would end. They were, but the, the, here's what they were doing. They were arguing with limited information. But they weren't limited in their opinions. And folks, that's man's wisdom. It's what we so often do. We argue from limited information, but not limited opinion. But then when then God speaks, 
And, and when he spoke, he, he, he just swipes aside all the wordy arguments of Job and his accusers. And in Job 38, 2, he says, he, he says to Job, he says, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You're so smart, Job. You're so smart. Who is this running their mouth about stuff you don't even understand? Who is this? He asked Job a whole series of questions about the material universe, and Job couldn't answer a single one of them. He was speechless. For once, Job was speechless. He just went on a rant back here like a trial attorney trying to be Perry Mason. Now he's useless. There's nothing he can say. He has no answer. And the point of that being, if Job couldn't explain God's way uh, in the material universe, how could he possibly explain God's way in the much more complex and mysterious moral universe. If you, can't explain, if you can't explain the material, Job, how in the world can you understand the moral? And so Job, as you get to the end of this in chapter 42, Job confessed. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand and had spoken of things too wonderful for me. He acknowledges those things. And Job repented of his rash words. He got his heart right. He got his head right. And, and, and here's the deal, folks. If we can't understand God's ways in the material and moral realm, it's impossible. Listen, it's impossible for us. It's impossible apart from the Holy Spirit of God to understand God's ways in the spiritual realm. It's impossible. So the only way Paul could speak the wisdom of God was because he was inspired and instructed by the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning verse 16, Paul says, uh, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So that's where our wisdom comes from, folks. It comes from the Spirit of God. Look again at verse 7. It says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages. Now look at this last phrase. For our glory. Now, you may not have ever noticed that before. You know, we read across, sometimes we read through these things and we, we see the big part there. We see the big point and we, we come across this and we read that for our glory. Wait a minute, back up. Because I read that and I go, wait a minute, wait, what? For our glory? For our glory? God does these things for our glory? Look, you know, we know and we understand that God does all things for his own glory. Amen. We understand that. And, and we understand that that's the basic premise for all true and proper Bible interpretation. If you're going to properly interpret the Bible, you've got to understand that what he does is for his glory. That's what he's doing, everything he's doing. But, but, the, but that God should have planned things and permitted things and pursued things for our glory is a thought that's beyond all thought. And it's a thought that, that we'd never dare to even think if God hadn't said that himself. We, we would not go, well, you know, God did these things for our glory. No, we wouldn't say that, but God did. Let's look at it. Think about this, that fallen and sinful man should not only be redeemed at infinite cost. It cost the Lord Jesus Christ his life. 
It cost him leaving the glories of heaven and living on this earth for 33 years and living a sinless life. But it cost him his life on a cross. And, and for us to be made children of God, to be made joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and to be raised up to sit with him in heavenly places far above principalities and powers, and to be held up for all of eternity as trophies of God's grace. This ought to blow our minds. This is wisdom beyond anything we ourselves could have even thought up or conceived. That's, that's fairy tale stuff. What God did for our glory. Now, our glory is being held up as trophies. When we think of this, it's for He did these things for our glory. He gives us things we don't deserve. He, does, he, he doesn't give us what we do deserve. And He does that. It's for our glory. But it's ultimately whatever is for our glory is for His glory. Because it's not about us at all. And that thought ought to inspire us as we think of that, what he did for us. Look at verse 8. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now the wisdom of God was displayed at Bethlehem when Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, was incarnated in human flesh. He came to live on earth as a man among men while retaining and demonstrating his absolute Godhead, although he veiled his glory. He did all this in order to become the great mediator between God and man. Everything he did was to be the mediator, to be the go-between, that he could restore us, he could reconcile us to God. He could buy that price back. He paid that price. He could reconcile us. He's the great mediator between God and man. And the princes of this world were ignorant of it all. And we look at the scene there with Christ in the final hours of his life. Caiaphas and his clique in the Sanhedrin, they flat out deny the evidence of the life and the teaching and the miracles of Jesus. They just flat out denied it. They regarded him as, a, as just a man, a troublemaking and blaspheming man at that, and they conspired to get rid of him. Herod, because Jesus refused to perform a miracle to satisfy his curiosity, concluded that he was just a fraud, and he mocked him openly. Pilate was troubled by the Lord's, listen, he was troubled by the Lord's silences. When the Lord didn't say anything, it troubled him. When he answered, it troubled him. His behavior troubled him. And it seems that Pilate was, you know, he half believed that Jesus was more than just a man. And, and he certainly had never met anyone like Jesus. And yet, ultimately, Pilate signed his death warrant, had him scourged, and condemned him to the cruel death of the cross. If they had known, they would not have done these things. But they did not know. They did not have the wisdom from God. As they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed for those who were carrying out the sentence. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it was nothing but the restraining hand of God that held back legions of angels from pouring over the walls of heaven and ushering in Armageddon right then and there, ending it all. It was the grace of God and the hand of God that held that back. Amen. Verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now this verse here, you'll hear this. You've probably heard that more at a funeral than anywhere else. 
You'll hear that verse at a funeral that for those of us that love God, you know, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard the things God has prepared. But this is long before our death and, and just knowing about eternal things. This, is, this goes all the way back. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. The whole story. And, and, and so when we think about man and we think about our eye seeing, our ear hearing, and our mind thinking these things of, you know what, man is... Is truly, if we're going to be honest, we're, there, man has extraordinary intellectual uh, powers. I mean, we have, to, we have to admit that. But it's God-given. It's God-given, and we've misdirected that. But man has done some great things. They've explored the, the secrets of the, of the atom. Man has split the atom. They've learned much about the mysteries of space, explored the genetics of living things, and, and, and have put man on the moon. Well, I was waiting. I'm glad I didn't get a response of hogwash there. Um, because man, man has, has been able to go to the moon. Man has done amazing intellectual things. And there seems to be nothing that man can't do when it comes to science and technology and engineering. However, God cannot be discovered by gazing into a microscope or through a telescope. You know, while, while we absolutely see his fingerprints everywhere in creation, amen? And if you study, I love earth sciences. I love science. I love to see this because everything in creation, that's what, man, the zoomerang this week, the stuff we learned, learning about the, the platypus, I'm going to go back and restudy that because that, that animal is just amazing. And it's what God has done. And you, when you look around, you see God's fingerprints on everything in creation, especially when you look around in this room right here and we see his fingerprints on his special creation on man. We see his fingerprints everywhere in creation, but we can never know him or his mind or his heart or his will apart from divine revelation. God has to reveal himself to us. And the great truth revealed in the Bible never could have been thought out by the mind of a man. So we know that this is not... I mean, we'll talk in a moment about how man's mind works in the way of getting to God, but... uh, we could never have thought this up. We could never think up God. So he has to reveal himself to us. Now, verse 10, verse 10 through uh, 16. I'm going to read these and we're going to talk about this. I want you to notice something here. As I begin to read 10 through 16, notice the number of times. I believe it's six times here that, that Paul writes and he talks about his spirit or the spirit. He's talking about the spirit of God. He says his spirit, spirit, spirit of God, spirit, Holy Spirit teaches. Look at these times. I think it's six times he's talking about the Holy Spirit of God and what he does for us. Verse 10, but God has revealed, has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Now, Stop right there because what Paul, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Now, we're human. We don't know each other. We, we can understand, we read body language, but short of words that come out of our mouths or actions that portray and, and reveal our intentions, we can't know another person. Does that make sense? This is man. This is people. We live, if you're married, you live with someone. And sometimes you still go, I don't know what you're saying. We have trouble. We, I know I said that. No, you didn't. And we, and, and, and we have these things where even as 
people, we don't understand each other unless we clearly communicate it, unless we put that out there, okay? So what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? And unless that man reveals it, we can't even understand each other. Now we're talking about God and how we're going to understand him. In verse 11, the second part of verse 11, it says, Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Well, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, understand, folks, remember, it's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit of God is not some, it's not like the force in Star Wars that's, may the force be with you. The Holy Spirit of God is God. It is the Spirit of God. And, and so even, even so, no one knows the things of God except for the Spirit of God revealing them to us. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Verse 13, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. So when people who do not know the Lord as their Savior, and they read the Bible and they go, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes perfect sense that they don't understand it and that it makes no sense because they do not have the Spirit of God indwelling them and teaching them. They cannot know the things of God apart from the Spirit of God. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, we're going to look at two, two things. Um, y'all are going to be surprised. It ain't going to be 10 till this morning. We'll, get, we'll be out of here. Um, the source, the first thing we're going to look at is this, the source of this wisdom. Where's the source of this wisdom that has been revealed? Verse 10, but God has revealed them to us. Through his spirit. Well, we have the answer right there. The source of this wisdom, the source of our wisdom, if we can have any spiritual wisdom, we have the wisdom of God. It's not man generated. It is through his spirit. It's through the spirit of God. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, the Holy Spirit is active in your salvation. If you have been born again, the Holy Spirit of God was at work in that, or you ain't been born again. It's that simple. The Holy Spirit of God works, uses the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God convicts us, enlightens our minds. And when we come to that conviction, that understanding, then we have a choice to make. And that's where man's responsibility comes in. It has been revealed to you. You have been convicted. Are you going to respond? Are you going to receive what God has offered you? Or are you going to reject it? And believe it or not, we know people reject God all the time. Blows my mind. But then not only does he help in our salvation, he, he then comes in, he is, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the Holy Spirit is within us, Romans 8, 9. Y'all can write these verses down and go back and reference them. Ephesians 1, 13, Romans 8, 9 says, but you are not in the, fle- uh, uh, in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God uh, dwells in you. So you're in the Spirit. 
You are in the Spirit, not in the flesh, if indeed the Spirit of God, God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So if we say, you know, I don't have, the Spirit of God's not in me. I don't have the Spirit of Christ in me. Then, then you're not born again. When we're born again, when we become a believer, the Spirit of God is indwelling us. Tells us right there. True believers have the Spirit of God in them. If not, you're not a true believer. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you uh, to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you. Back in chapter 14, 26, he will teach you all things. Here in chapter 16, verse 13, he will guide you into all truth. For he will, speak on, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. How do we know what's the source? The Holy Spirit of God is the source of this godly wisdom and the wisdom of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, the greatest source we're going to see right here of, of godly wisdom comes through the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, indeed, it's the Bible. It's the Holy Bible. It's the Scriptures. And it is the Bible alone that we, we have any reliable information on what life and death is all about. That's where we get information about life. That's where we get information about our sinfulness. That's where we get information about the only hope we have through Jesus Christ. We have all of this that God has given us. He has revealed it to us. It's special revelation. It's inspired revelation that he has given us the word of God. He has given us his mind, his heart, his will. It's all there. He's given that to us. And then the whole Holy Spirit of God uses that in our lives. It's the only way we can know this is through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, then, through the Holy Scriptures, has told us all that we need to know. He tells us about creation, about the fall of man, about salvation, sanctification, service, and about the life to come. And man's philosophies and theories about these things are just wild guesses. See, man, man has always known from the fall, there, there's been, a, there's been a, a, a void there. There's an emptiness there. They know that there's a God. Now, how do we get back to God? And that's man's religion is working his way back to God. And it's all on him. Many Eastern religions are based on the theory of reincarnation. You all know what that is. It's you're born over and over again. It's the notion of we live over and over again and, 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 and that what we do in this life determines what we'll do in our next life or what we'll be in our next life. You live a really good life here, you may have a better life next time. If you really live a really bad life now, you do a lot of bad things, you may come back as a worm or something. I don't know. But it's this reincarnation and, and, and then it's, it's, you know, it's, so whether you come back or as a, a conqueror or a cockroach has to do with how you lived your life. Many of the Eastern religions believe that. That's how they work to God. Atheists declare that there's no God at all. And again, I don't believe God believes in atheists. So it's, it's, it's funny. I don't, I, I don't believe in atheists. Y'all believe in atheists? Now what I'm saying is I don't, I don't believe that there's such a thing as a true atheist. It's amazing when these atheists, they get in a bad place and they call out to God. It's, it's, it's just amazing. They, they know there's a God out there. It's the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
It's a conscious, I'm going to reject that there's a God. That's what the atheist is doing. The Vikings charged into battle, and they were confident that that, if they died, then they'd be feasting in the halls of Valhalla. They thought, boy, it's a reward if I die in this, so in battle. I die in battle, it'll be a great thing. The Muslims believe basically the same thing. If they die in battle, they die for the righteous cause, that, that, uh, you know, but they're going to go the same way, but only their heaven is even more sensuous. It's, it's all about sensuous, sensuality, and, 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 and we'll leave it at that. Uh, the great goal of Buddhism. If you know anything about Buddhism, the goal of that is not to be, be evolved into a better person. It's to be evolved into the point where you into extinction so that you don't exist anymore. That if you do enough good, you earn yourself to not exist anymore and you don't have to keep coming back. That's what the Buddhist believes. These are the things that they teach and the ways and, and the means of man and, and, and their thoughts, the things that they think up in trying to achieve the unachievable are as many and as varied as the goals themselves. Prayers and penances, rules and rituals, feasts and fasting, sufferings and sacrifice, flames and flatulations. You know, it's all these things that that we're going to do these things. Not flatulations. (laughs) Flagellations. It's different. You can go look it up. I saw a face over here went, what? That was just a flatulation. (laughs) These are the things that man does. These are the things that man does in in his efforts to work his way to God. And the common theme in all of them for salvation, it, it is salvation by works, by human merit, by our own effort. And this is human reasoning and human wisdom. And the Bible simply says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift from God that we are saved by God's grace through faith in what Jesus Christ did for us. That's God's wisdom, and it's foolishness to the world. It is only God that can reveal to us the thoughts, heart, mind, and will of God. And the Holy Spirit of God reveals this to us through the Word of God. Now, that's the source of this wisdom. The scope of this wisdom, look at this. For the Spirit, uh, continuation of verse 10 there. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, the, the word there, that Greek word there is erionio. And, and it's used of God and of Christ in searching men's hearts. It's this searching, this searching. And it's, uh, it's as God, it's the same word used as, as God is searching, and the Lord Jesus is searching men's hearts in Romans uh, chapter 8 and Revelation chapter 2. And it's used in the Old Testament, uh, speaking of the prophets, as they search their own divinely inspired writings concerning truth revealed to them about Christ. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 1. And then similarly, you know, the Lord told the Jews to search the scriptures. Search the scriptures in John 5, 39. So it is the searching of the scripture. It is mining out the scriptures. Now, indeed, the depths in the word of God are bottomless. You know, I... I play a little golf. I play very little golf. I, I, I'm not a golfer. I'm a hacker. But I play a little golf. What I've learned about golf is I don't care how good you are. It is a game you'll, you, you'll never conquer it in your lifetime. 
The Word of God is infinitely more so than, than even thinking about golf. It, 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 it's the Word of God. The depths of the Word of God are bottomless. You'll never mine out all of the truths of Scripture. You'll never be, be an absolute expert and know it exhaustively. You never will. David proclaimed about this. He said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Paul exclaimed, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How searchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. It is the Spirit of God who opens to us the deep things of God. He searches them. Pastor Aaron, I'm going to ask you and your team, you can go ahead and make your way forward. I am, we're just about done here. He searches them. And I want you to understand, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God who's searching the Scriptures, it's not that He searches them to acquire knowledge because He is the author of all revealed truth. God is the author. God wrote it. God's not searching it out trying to figure out what's in there. He knows what's in there. Here's what He does. The Holy Spirit of God, He penetrates the depths of Scripture and makes those depths clear to those who reverently, patiently, and humbly Explore the scriptures. Faithful students of the word of God will constantly be amazed as they come across some new gem of truth. They'll, they'll, they're they're, they're going to be amazed as they find out this new view. This, they open up this grand, awe-inspiring view of this canyon of truth. When I think about how we explore the scriptures, I think about going out there to Utah. We'd go up in a in a... In a like in a valley, we'd work up through a valley. Gina, you remember this, Jesse. And, and as we're going up, it seems like every time we went around a corner, it's, it's all new. Something totally different. And you go around another corner, it'd be Alaska up there. And every, every turn, you think, boy, I just can't see anything more amazing. And you make a turn and boom, there's another mountain you haven't seen before. And you go, wow, that's what it's like as we study the Word of God. But we have to do it reverently and patiently and humbly. So we come before the Word of God and we get in it and we pray, Lord, God, Holy Spirit of God, illuminate my mind. Speak to me. Lord, as I search this out, reveal these truths. He knows the truths. He is the teacher. John Phillips. I've shared, I've talked about John Phillips before. He just died a few years ago. He's written tons of commentaries uh, what a, what a, just a humble man. But I asked him one time, I had the opportunity to have dinner with him and I asked him, I said, Dr. Phillips, where did you get your education? And, and he just looked at me and he kind of smiled and he said, the same place you can, the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. He said, the Holy Spirit of God is the best teacher. Why not? It's his book. He wrote it. He knows everything that's in it. And as we, when we have the Spirit of God within us, and we walk in that, and we seek that, and we look in the Scriptures, He can reveal to us what is in there in His book. Now, He doesn't reveal everything all the time. How many of you have read a verse? You may have read it a hundred times. How many of you had never seen that before this morning? For our glory. For our glory. Something new. You can read it a hundred times and all of a sudden you hit it and you go, whoa, whoa, I never saw that. Now, what I really hate is when I'm listening to somebody preach and they hit something and I go, how did I not see that? How did I not see that? Because you weren't looking for it. 
See, the Bible is, after all, the Word of God, and it is as infinite and as eternal as the one who breathed it into being. Amen? So we have the Word of God, inspired of God, written from the mind of God, and as a believer, we have the Holy Spirit of God. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we do that, folks? Well, if you're a believer, the way you do that is through the Word of God. You've got to get into the Word of God. We don't just, man, you, you, try, you try having a child and not, eat, not feeding that child and see if the child grows. They become now malnourished. They don't grow. They're underweight. They're not properly developing. You know what? We do the same thing, Christians, in the spiritual realm. We do this. We don't read and study and, 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 and feast on the Word of God, the nourishment that is given to us to help us to grow. We're commanded to grow. We're to grow in the grace and in the knowledge. We do that as we, as we, as we fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God in the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, how do we do it? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, Rightly dividing the word of truth. This morning, uh, we're going we're to have an uh, invitation here in a moment, a time to reflect on what we've heard this morning. But folks, here's the, here's the challenge for us this morning as Christians. We have, we have the greatest gift given other than our salvation. We have this, this, the word of God. I mean, if a, a, a good novel comes out, we, we, we hear about it. Oh, you got to read this. It's so good. You got to read this. We have the Word of God. We have the mind of God. We have the will of God. We have the heart of God. All of this, it's been given to us. This great gift. And, I, and I'm afraid that in many homes, it sits there during the week and collects dust. I just encourage you, Christian, get in your Bible. Get in your Bible and get your Bible in you. That's how we grow. That's how we grow. If you're coming Sunday morning, and I want you to come Sunday morning, but if you're coming in here and you think you're going to grow and you're going to get deep in your faith just by hearing a 45-minute message on Sunday morning, And you're going to do it. You got to get in there. You got to get in. So I'm, I'm, my exhortation this morning is, believer, where are you at with the Word of God? What are you doing with the Word of God? How are you using the Word of God? Are you applying the Word of God? Are you in the Word of God? What are you doing? Our life ought to revolve around the Scriptures. Because it gives us everything that we need. Believer, that's what it says. And you have the Holy Spirit of God to teach you. Well, I just don't, you know, I don't know. I guarantee you, I, I, is Michael in here? Michael, I'm going to put you on the spot. Does the Bible read different to you now than it did a few months ago before you got saved? The Holy Spirit's teaching you, isn't he? See, I, I, I knew I could ask him that. And I wasn't going to get an answer I didn't want to hear because I knew what the answer was going to be because he's got the Holy Spirit of God indwelling him. And I see him reading the scriptures. And as he reads the scriptures, the Holy Spirit of God is going to teach him. Now, it, 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 he may read something 20 times before it clicks. Something will click. But the Holy Spirit of God is teaching him. And he'll teach every one of us. Folks, that's the challenge this morning for us as believers. What are you doing with the greatest book ever written? 
What are you doing with that book? What are you doing with the scriptures God's given you? This morning, maybe, maybe we haven't been applying ourselves to the scriptures the way we need to. Today's a day to, to, to refocus on that, to recommit to that. Say, Lord, I mean, it's a, it's a time we need to repent. We need to get our hearts right. Because, Lord, we're neglecting this great gift you've given us. We're neglecting the work of the Holy Spirit in our life with that. Now, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not going to understand the Scriptures if you open them up and read them. You're not. This morning, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, again, I share with you this. We were lost in our sin because of Adam's sin, because of Eve's sin, the sin in the garden. Man was separated from God, but God made a way. And because of their sin, we all were lost, hopelessly lost in our sin. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who came, born of a, of a virgin, became a man, took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, and then went to the cross of Calvary and died in your place. He died for your sin, was buried and rose again the third day. And he proved he was God. He proved he could do what he said he could do. And what he said he could do is save you. He said he could give you new life, that you could be born again. You could be saved from your sin and have eternal life with God Almighty. And today, you, maybe you're sitting here, you've never made that decision. You've never, you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If that's you this morning, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you all. But if that's where you're at this morning, I want you to forget about everybody else that's in here. And the only one that matters is God. And where are you at with Him? And if this morning you've got some questions that you need answered or you'd like to meet the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I'm going to ask you to just step out and come down here. Let me take the Scriptures and just in a moment show you how you can know this morning that you have eternal life. Scriptures are there. Truth is there. So let's pray, and then, and then we'll have this time of reflection. Father, I ask you just to, to be with us now in, this, in this, this response time, this reflection time. So we think on what we've heard this morning. Lord, what a beautiful, wonderful, amazing, bottomless, never-ceasing in what it offers us gift you've given us through the Word of God. And you've given us the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us, who is here to speak to us and guide us and lead us and to teach us. Lord, this morning, if we've been negligent with the Word of God, I, I pray for conviction. And I pray we'll respond, Lord, in repentance and a brokenness of that. And we'll recommit ourselves, Lord, to the study and the ministry of the Word of God. Father, for even one that may be sitting here this morning that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray if there's even one, Lord, may the Holy Spirit of God speak to their heart, reveal to them right now the need to be saved. And I pray they might step out and come forward and let someone take the Scriptures and just share with them the Gospel again. Father God, do what only you can do now. desire to do in our hearts, may we respond to that.